Michelle Martin Sullivan is a teacher, and like almost all teachers in the U.S. right now, she's relying largely on the internet and her phone to connect with students. So this big storm that we just had, that's knocked out a lot of teachers' uh, electricity and Wi-Fi, as well as students. Some areas are out of connectivity for seven to ten days. Seven to ten days? Yes, yes, seven to ten days to get the internet back up and running. Michelle told me a recent story about trying to get in touch with one of her students in particular. Called her on Monday, called her on Tuesday, hadn't been able to get in touch, which was very unlike her to not be responsive. And she finally just sent me a a message. A tree fell on their house and they have had to find another place to live because of damage to the roof. And in addition to that, they did not have any internet access in their entire half of the county. This was the first time that she's been able to get out and get to a place where there was Wi-Fi and or cell reception to connect with me and her other teachers. Michelle lives in a rural part of Kentucky called Floyd County. It's in Appalachia, coal country, where the mountains and gaps in infrastructure means internet access is spotty and cell reception is non-existent in some areas, even in the best of times. And that's always been challenging, but now... Having access to the internet matters more than ever. I I can tell you that there's two teachers right now who have been conducting their phone calls and check-ins with students from random parking lots, like church parking lots, the Walmart parking lot, just anywhere that you can get Wi-Fi. And thankfully, I am not in that situation right now. We definitely have been before. It is a challenge, uh, for sure, to find spots of connectivity. It's it's just worrisome to me. especially with kids that I'm not seeing face-to-face on, on Zoom and I'm just hearing on the phone. Like, I, I really don't know anything beyond what they're telling me. And that, as a mother and as a teacher, worries me just because I want to make sure that they are okay. Today on the show, we look at the pandemic's impact on education through the eyes of one rural area teacher. And later, we ask the question on every parent and educator's mind. How is this nationwide experiment in online education actually going? I'm Ariel Dimros. This is Reset. So, Michelle, what does an average day look like for you now that you're working from home? So, each day we wake up and make contact with the students who are in our homerooms. Some students I'll call on the landline and just check in how they're doing, see how their their work is coming and if they need anything, food, groceries, supplies. Other students I'll shoot a message on Facebook Messenger. Some students I text with. It's it's really unique to each student and each family's communication um, needs right now. So how do you keep track of it all? Do you have like a spreadsheet where you're like, okay, Daniel, I contact via text message and yes, Julie, exactly I contact I via Facebook <laughs> Messenger. Seriously? Yes, that's, that's exactly. Yep. I do have a spreadsheet and I say prefers to be contacted through this mode of communication. Wow. Um, if I can't get up with a student, I'll try them in a different way. Some students, we've had to leave messages, you know, as a, talking to parents or even neighbors, but Communication has been the primary concern 
So when you're calling these students, you know, one by one or, or reaching out to them over text message, like, are you teaching that way? Like, how are you teaching right now? So I'm teaching two different ways. The first way is our district created a choice board for students. And so there's a grid that kind of looks like a bingo card and kids have to do all of the activities on the bingo card, but they can choose when they do each assignment. My homeroom students turn in their work from the grid to me on Google Classroom or they're completing the work on paper if they don't have computer access and they will send pictures of their work to me via phone or they'll give their paper packets to a bus driver and the bus driver brings it to school. Okay, so many students are getting their work delivered by bus drivers. That's one way you're teaching right now. What's the other? For my advanced placement class, the AP test is still happening in May. And so we're still trying to prepare for that to make sure that they get college credit. And so with that particular class, I am teaching on Zoom twice a week and I record those lessons. A lot of my students are working full-time right now. They're considered essential employees. They're working at Walmart or different grocery stores given financial uncertainties. I think that a lot of people are facing, they have picked up more hours to bring in more money for their families. Mm. I know several students who are taking care of grandparents right now or younger siblings because their parents are essential employees. It sounds like your students have a lot going on at home right now on top of trying to learn. Yes. And so it's made synchronous learning not impossible, but it's made it difficult. And so I think recording classes via Zoom has been helpful and just being available two students via messenger or text or um, phone call Mm -hmm. has been the most helpful given all of the things that's going on in kids' lives. So this all sounds really tough. Have there been any moments where you felt like these virtual classes were working? Any moments of lightness? We were on a Zoom call last week and I, I left the meeting running. Like I, you know, we ended class and they were just having such a good time talking to each other that I said, do y'all want me to leave this, this running. And they were like, yeah. And I came back an hour later and they were still talking to each other, <laughs> catching up. Uh, That's good. And it was just, yeah, it was, they had said, oh my gosh, we missed this so much. This particular class is like a little, like they call themselves La Familia, like the family. Uh, mm. And they have a really strong class culture. And this is a class of seniors who they didn't know that their last day of school was their last day of school. Right. Can you imagine that? What impact do you think all of this, having to deal with learning from home under these conditions during a global health crisis where people are losing their jobs, what impact do you think that's having on your students? So I I actually conducted a little poll for some of my kids just to gauge how they're doing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are feeling really overwhelmed. Some students feel like there's no balance. You know, I Mm -hmm. think kids physically being in a school building provided a lot of balance for kids. You know, school, work was mostly done at school. Home is a place where you're taking care of family members and, you know, doing all of the chores that you need to do at home. And then their workplace is the place where they're able to turn school brain off. And having those lines 
pretty much disintegrated is a struggle. I know a lot of kids are uh, struggling to keep a schedule and some are up really late or sleeping strange hours because their work schedules have changed. When you wake up in the morning and you know, okay, I got to get in touch with, with X number of kids, like what is the first thing that's going through your mind? I, I worry. I think about the stuff that they're not telling me on the phone. Um, you know, when I'm asking, Hey, how, how are things going? Are you okay? Do you need anything? How's your work going? I get varying degrees of length in my answers. And Mm -hmm. I think about how I would respond to some of those questions, especially if I was in not a great mental health space or not a great physical space. Right. There's so much that you can tell about how a human being is doing when you actually see them face to face and are in their physical presence. And you've essentially lost all of that. Yeah, exactly. Michelle and her students are facing a ton of challenges right now. But what about the rest of the U.S.? How are things going with our grand experiment in online learning? This is really unprecedented in recent American history, this sort of widespread national school closure. And the the effects are pretty bad, to be honest. That's after the break. This is Reset. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey, it's Tom Warren, Senior Editor at The Verge here. Microsoft is in an era-defining moment. It's betting on AI as the future of work, its Xbox business is going through transformational changes, and the Mac versus PC war is about to be back on. So, I'm launching a newsletter called Notepad. It'll be your inside guide to all those changes and beyond. From details on the next Xbox, to that one time every Microsoft employee named Michael appeared on a mysterious email list. Whatever is happening at Microsoft, you'll be able to read about it first in Notepad every Thursday. Go subscribe now at theverge.com forward slash notepad. Matt Barnum, Chalkbeat National Reporter. The U.S. is currently undergoing this unprecedented experiment with online distance learning. And because you specialize in this kind of reporting, I'm really wondering... How's that going? What have you been hearing? 
I think the two short answers are it's hard to tell and it's been messy to put it charitably. The reason why it's hard to tell is we just don't have good data. End of year tests are being canceled, so we're not going to have test data like we usually do. Most districts aren't taking student attendance. They can't take student attendance in the traditional way because, of course, students aren't showing up to buildings. Right. But based on what we're hearing, um, it's pretty messy. It's pretty challenging. Schools were totally thrown into this out of necessity. They didn't plan for this. They've been scrambling. Day one of distance learning in Fairfax County did not go as planned. Many students could not log into their online learning software called Blackboard. And many districts and educators have been trying their hardest to make this work, but it's proven challenging in in a lot of ways. Are there any particular challenges that stand out to you based on your reporting? Yeah. So one thing that I think people might not realize, even though it's it's sort of obvious when you think about it, is that teachers, many teachers, in fact, about half of public school teachers have school-aged children at home themselves, their parents mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. right? So they're not just affected by this um, from a teaching perspective, but they're also affected by it from a parenting perspective. And so I've talked to some teachers, including a teacher, Narika Nakata in Los Angeles, who is trying to do online instruction while also trying to take care of her young children. Children. So that is really, really hard. Mm. I've talked to several teachers who said, well, when we first started thinking about this online stuff, I thought this was going to be much easier than my regular job. But actually, it's turned out to be a lot harder. What about the the Internet component here? Have you been hearing from a lot of teachers that they are either str- struggling with their Internet connection or their students are struggling with their Internet connection or students don't have access to the Internet at all? Yeah, I think that that's a big thing that districts are really grappling with. We know there's a quote unquote digital divide for students in particular, that low income students and students of color are less likely to have um, Internet at home and less likely to have devices and laptops in particular or iPads that are conducive for doing online instruction um, in some districts like Los Angeles, like New York City. Many districts are trying to allocate funding and distribute devices, ensure students have wireless Internet. Sometimes they're turning to private philanthropy. Sometimes they're turning to emergency funds. But we just know for a fact that that hasn't been fully distributed yet. And there are still many students who don't have the access they need to make this work. Okay. All right. So it sounds like it's really hard to tell right now exactly what's going on across the U.S. based on just the information that we have. But are there any historical parallels that you can give us to to just sort of get an idea of how having school shut down because of a crisis is going to impact all of these students. Yeah, I think we have a lot of data points on this. But of course, this is really unprecedented in recent American history, this sort of widespread national school closure. But we can sort of triangulate to to get some sense of of how it's going to affect students. And the, the effects are pretty bad, to be honest. So there's something of a rough parallel in terms of students missing school in Argentina. There were a great deal of teacher strikes in that country. Because there were so many teacher strikes, students were out of school a lot. Um, And in fact, researchers later found that the average student in elementary school missed over 80 days of 
of instruction because of teacher strikes. And so that gave researchers this sort of natural experiment to compare Argentina students in some parts of the country where teacher strikes were more prevalent to other parts of the country where they were less prevalent. So basically, they were able to say, how much did missing a lot of instruction actually affect students? And they found that students who were much more affected by missing school were less likely to graduate high school, less likely to enroll in college. And even when they were adults, they were more likely to be unemployed and um, had less earnings, about 2 to 3% less income as adults. Is it too early to compare this situation to what happened in Argentina? I mean, we're just talking about at least so far a few months, right? Is this really something that could follow students for who then become adults for, you know, years and years after they've they've graduated and left school? I think my answer would be yes and no. It's very different than Argentina because it's a different country. Um, it's a different time period. We do have online learning um, and the teacher strikes in Argentina were extremely frequent. We're talking about students missing 80 days of instruction. And on the other hand, I think we do know that things that happen early in school for students can have these long run effects. I think there's this there's this idea that children are resilient. They'll just bounce back from whatever you throw at them. And from a research perspective, that's just not the case. We know mm. that things can affect students, both good or bad. We know that early trauma can affect students for bad. We know that a high-quality teacher or access to early childhood education can affect students for good in the long term. So I think it's not unreasonable to think that this is going to have long-run negative effects and that if policymakers want to reduce that, as they probably should, they should think about some ways to, to start addressing those negative effects and making up for that. I'm wondering, will switching to learning online help make up for some of those gaps that you're talking about? So I think there are a few different ways to think about that. The, the hopeful perspective is yes, that, you know, teachers are making this work, districts are making this work in tough circumstances, and, and that's going to help cushion the blow. The realistic perspective is we don't know because this is totally unprecedented and we don't have great data. And then the pessimistic perspective is probably not. And mm. the case for that pessimistic perspective is we have studies of virtual schooling, particularly with virtual charter schools, which are designed to be online. And the studies on those schools are quite negative in terms of their impact on student test scores. Students in these virtual charter schools learn a lot less than on average than in traditional brick and mortar schools. And that sort of gives us reason to temper our hopes, at least that this transition to online learning can fully make up the gap in traditional instruction. Is there anything that we know about, any solution that school districts could implement to make up for the, these issues that we're talking about? Who, anything that can make us feel a little bit more optimistic about this experiment? Yes, I think there are some things that we know, or at least we have good evidence, can work. And so... One of them would be to simply try to extend the school day or year in the next school year. Okay. And we have evidence from research. There was a study in Florida that when schools, low-performing schools, extended the school day, students did better on state tests. We have another study in Louisiana showing that summer school helps students who are struggling in reading. And so it just makes a whole lot of sense that if you want to make up for misinstruction, you should just make up for missed instruction. 
Another idea would be to fund um, tutors. And this will be both because students are behind and also because there may be a bigger variation. There may be students who did really well with remote instruction and there may be students who fell behind. And so I talked to one researcher recently who suggested funding a sort of AmeriCorps style army of tutors of recent college graduates to help students catch up during the regular school day. And there's also another side benefit of that. And that's that a lot of recent college graduates are looking for jobs right now. And so giving them something to do that is actually really productive for society, that puts some money in their hands, um, I think it could be really good for the economy. The last thing I would mention, and this one it has a benefit of being cheaper than the other two, something that schools could do with without extra money, is Having students in elementary school return to the next grade with the same teacher that they had in the prior grade. So if you're a for entering fourth grade student, what if your third grade teacher is also your fourth grade teacher? Mm-hmm. And I think this has a lot of appeal. There's research that suggests this just as a general matter is a good idea and is effective. And I think it could also be helpful for students who are just maybe a little nervous about coming back to school. You know, the the other problem that comes to mind for me a lot is the issue of of trauma, that a lot of these kids are going through a tremendous amount of trauma right now, either because their family members might have lost jobs or because they may know somebody who's sick or maybe even somebody who died. And and their studies have just suddenly come to an end, their entire lives, their schedules, everything is thrown off. And now maybe they're worried about this virus that seems to be everywhere. And that that amount of trauma, is that something that schools might try to address? Can we expect to see mental health support for these kids both during and, and after this crisis? It's absolutely crucial that schools don't just think about this from an academic perspective. And one thing that I think we've realized and, you know, many people have long known is that schools aren't just academic institutions. They're institutions mm-hmm. that provide lots of services to students, including mental health support, including um, meals, a lot of essential services. And so if schools want to hit the ground running academically, they also probably need to be thinking about addressing the trauma that students may have faced. Presumably, the best way to deal with that is to have trained professionals in schools who can work with students to talk this through um, and, and support them in this. It's already hard to give kids that kind of attention uh, given these school budgets. And so I'm wondering, you know, we're talking about an economic crisis right now. So how optimistic are you that these solutions, these things that you've talked to me about, will actually be put in place? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the economic crisis is what is looming. And this is why, you know, I've referred to this, what schools and students are facing as the double whammy. The first whammy being the effects of missing school and the effects of potential trauma from this global pandemic. And then the second thing is the the pending economic downturn or recession, which is going to affect schools. OK, so the outlook on getting all that support for students seems kind of grim. You know, at at the beginning of this interview, I asked you about this online education experiment that the country is running without rendering a verdict. Do you think that what is going on in the U.S. right now with kids learning online across the country, do you think that's going to make people think twice about online learning and its promise? My prediction, and, you know, I'm very open to being wrong, is that 
people are not going to change that much one way or another. And I don't think that we're going to see people rushing to stay in an online setting or adopt these models, especially because the implementation of them have been hurried and scrambled. I don't know if we're going to see a huge backlash to these models because they're already not extremely widely used. I mean, most children just go to a regular school building. So I it's hard to imagine the backlash manifesting itself in fewer children in online settings because it's already rare as it is. Matt Barnum is a national reporter at Chalkbeat. Matt, thank you so, so much for your time. Thanks for having me. One of my favorite things about this podcast is that we make a point, as often as possible, to let people speak for themselves and relate their own lived experience. This episode was born out of that. Over the last few weeks, we've received recordings from a bunch of teachers telling us how things have been going for them and their students during the pandemic. Like this recording from Andy in L.A. Hi, Ariel. This is Andy in Los Angeles, California. I live in a house where both of us are teachers. Both of us teach in middle school. Some students are doing really well and are definitely responding to the new model. Some students have talked about it being easier to do their work from home and perhaps they're less distracted than they would be in class. But when students don't reach out and when they're not making any efforts on their own, we can't see their work. We just have no idea where they are. So the students who are doing well are often doing really well, but the students who need more outreach and more support, it's a lot harder to figure it out. Hey, this is Emily. I'm a teacher and it's been tough not being able to communicate with my kids. Before we went on lockdown with the schools, I had started a podcast with my students where they were getting to talk about books and interviewing authors and illustrators. Thankfully, through the power of the apps and especially the platform Anchor that we are using for our podcast, I've been able to still keep this going with my kids and have them get creative as well. Being able to do that with my kids has been a huge savior for me because I still get to work with them and talk with them and communicate with them and connect with them, which is what all teachers really want to be able to do. Hi, Ariel. Uh, This is Dan Hathaway. I'm a language arts teacher, a middle school language arts teacher in a small suburban-ish area. Uh, this, This has been quite a challenge. But the concern I have is students who are depressed because we've had five suicides in the surrounding counties. Um, I've had one in my hometown from my alma mater, and it's uh, 10, 15 minutes from my school. That That's a real concern for me. And I've seen in some writer's notebooks that I have been assessing online that some of the students are saying for sure that um, they miss being able to see their friends every day. And this lack of social interaction is a challenge. So that's that's a real concern for me is the social emotional wellness of these students, especially the longer this goes.
The thing that struck me most while listening to these messages is the emotion in these teachers' voices and the concern and dedication they all display. I've had my life changed more than once by a teacher, and so I want to say, I hear you, and I appreciate all the work that you are still doing right now. Thank you. I'm Ariel Zumros, and this is Reset. We publish episodes three times a week, on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the pod. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. If you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at ADRS. You can also reach the Reset team by emailing reset at vox.com. We'll be back on Sunday. Later, nerds. Later, nerds.